This is the Unregulated Podcast by City AM. I'm Kathleen Morrison. We're coming to you from the studio at White City Place, courtesy of Hucketree, the digital lifestyle co-working space. This week, I was joined by Jude Ower, founder of gaming platform PlayMob. It's really relaxing. You could sit and play that for hours and hours. Less Grand Theft Auto, more Call of Duty, kind of. This entrepreneur was awarded an MBE last year for her work linking gaming with doing good. Hi, Jude. Uh, can you first of all tell us a little bit about exactly what PlayMob is? Yeah, sure. So PlayMob is a games for good platform. So what we do is we uh, connect brands to millions of gamers through mobile games um, with a purpose-driven message, and we make um, a pres- we make social impact from a percentage of the media spends. So that by playing a game, you're making the world a better place. What first gave you the idea for PlayMob? So the idea for PlayMob came from, um, so my background is in gaming, um, always uh, gaming for good. So I worked mm-hmm. on a lot of educational games, worked at schools, universities. I did that for 10 years, um, looking at how you could use games for another purpose other than just pure entertainment. Um, and then in 2010, I'd been looking at how you can take the, as well as learning from games, how can games make an impact offline um, and make the world a better place? And in 2010, uh, Zynga, who created a game called Farmville, um, launched a campaign for the Haiti earthquake. Um, So 2010, the earthquake happens, Zynga want to um, try and raise as much money as possible. And what they did was they launched an item, uh, a virtual good within Farmville that players could buy. And a percentage of this money was going to go back to help the victims. Um, So they raised about $1.5 million in five days. Um, but the players loved it so much. They were playing for longer. They were sharing it on social media. Um, you know, it had a, a really um, positive impact on the community. So when I was thinking about the work that I did, and then thinking about the social impact and how you make the impact offline, this was the kind of moment that inspired. You know, imagine being able to take all the gaming time we spend and time that is time well spent. Yeah, I mean, I thought Farmville only had a kind of irritating impact. <laughs> Lots of requests on Facebook. But, um, oh, it so, does good too. <laughs> well, that's, I'm glad to know it. Um, so could you just talk us through the process of actually setting up PlayMob once you'd had the idea? Yeah, sure. So um, so once I had the idea, I um, I remember I had the idea when I was at uh, South by Southwest. Um, so I usually go every year. It's one of my favourite places for just kind of connecting with people and uh, coming up with ideas. And um, I remember um, just calling up one of my friends who was there and I said, you know, I've had this kind of crazy idea for a platform. Can I run it past you? And it was, you know, proper, you know, back of a cigarette packet sketch <laughs> showing them, like, you know, do you think this could work? And, um, yeah, they, they loved it. So the, the process after that was, you know, I knew I would need um, funding to build a platform, mm-hmm. to build a team. Um, previously, I'd had um, two other startups that, that were more service-based, Um so I hadn't really gone through the funding, um, uh, the funding process before. Um, so one of the things we did was uh, applied for. Um, it's an accelerator called Springboard, which is now TechStars, and this was kind of early days of accelerators. Um, so an accelerator is like you know a three month program mm-hmm. that you can um, you you take an idea or the, or the start of a business. You know the very very early inception, and you um, get mentoring. Um, you uh, get help to shape up your product and then you you get help to learn how to pitch um so 10 companies were part of the process we all didn't even understand any of our pitches at the beginning at the end they were polished um so that was helpful but at the end you then pitch to a room full of investors 
and um, it was then that we found some investors to come on board. So we secured our first uh, investment round in 2012, which really kind of helped build the initial part of the, the product and really start to um, educate the market on what we were doing because it was at such early stage. Um, you know, gaming and charity had never come together or gaming and doing good had never come together mm-hmm. before. So we had to really educate both sides of the market. So when did it actually launch? So we launched in 2013. Uh, we'd actually been running campaigns before that, but on a much smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd run lots of campaigns, just testing what worked, what didn't work. Um, and this was between games and charities. Um, so the, the brand side has come in over the past year and a half, um, which is a new part of our, our model. Um, but we launched our first big campaign in 2013. Okay, and so what was that campaign? Like, what kind of causes do you guys work with? Mm. So we worked with a whole broad range, but that one was... Um, so we worked with Electronic Arts in a game called Sims Social. Um, so in Sims, uh, you were able to um, interact with a panda. So you had a little, a little pet panda, but there was very strict rules around the panda because the panda wasn't allowed to be domesticated. Um, it, had, it couldn't live in the house. It had to live, stay in the garden. Um, <laughs> very strict rules about how you place virtual items in a virtual environment um so the and the panda uh, was representing the world wildlife fund the wwf and so uh, a percentage of money from the panda was then going back to help pandas for real so that one we we do all the social impact tracking as well so that one equated to about 31 pandas um, being protected wow Mm. real or virtual real (laughs) (laughs) well there was thousands that were virtual (laughs) Um, so what are some other examples of things like that? Because that sounds really interesting. Mm. What like other kind of ways have you like put the cause into a game? Yeah, so we've got we've got a ton of examples, but I think one of the one of the biggest and was very um, you know it went on for about fifteen months. It was meant to go on for about a month, but it went on for fifteen. Um, but it was a brilliant kind of virtuous circle of um, goods that was happening. It was a, a game called High School Story. So it was a game that um, teenagers could play about being at school. You know, who'd have thought? <laughs> um, but you play the game about being at school and um, the game developer got in touch with us because they realised that some of their community had been cyberbullied. Not within the game, but there was cyberbullying going on in general. Mm-hmm. And they had someone from the community call up the studio to say, how can we, um, you know, I'm, I'm being bullied, what do I do? They didn't know where to go. Um, so the studio wanted to do something to signpost um, teenagers on where to get help. So we partnered with a, a charity, charity called Cybersmile. And what we did was put a, um, a piece of content into the game, um, like a storyline that players can play. Um, so the, the game was built around storylines. Mm-hmm. So you play the storyline, it would give you different options of what you could do next in, in the instance of being cyberbullied. Um, and there was items in the game that would interact, that you, could in, that you can buy and a percentage was going back to cybersmile um, but you're also learning at the same time about how to deal with the situation and where to go to get help so that one helped to open up a 24-hour helpline um, and the reason it was so impactful is because we had about 100 uh, kids per week from the game calling up the helpline so as well as being able to play the game and give back and support the cause mm-hmm. um, they were finding out where to get help and have a have a place to go to get help um, so that was really successful. Um, we've done quite a lot in the environmental space. So with Electronic Arts again, we did one last year that was um, uh, again with WWF. We had eight mobile titles, uh, eight mobile games, and each mobile game represented a different animal. Everything from kind of the big cat to well, big cats, rhinos, and a bullfrog or dart frog. Um, that was least popular. <laughs> 
Um, but each game would raise money for each of the, the different animals. So, And they had a different item or piece of content within the game that would relate back to um, the, the animal or the, or the species. So with Plants vs Zombies was about reforestation. Um, Maiden was about, um, it's an American football game. You got to buy a special helmet that had a, a rhino horn on it, a fake one, not a real one. Um, yeah, so there's the, the content linked um, back to the cause. Okay, so then how do you choose the charities? Is it kind of, does it have to link pretty clearly with the game or do you think you could do that with any charity really? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. So I think there's there's a lot of games. So you know you can you can typically find a good match between a cause and the audience. But the main thing is to look at the we look at the audience. You know who who do we need to reach to tell this message to, or who would be interested to support this cause? Um, and then we also look at the the theme of the game to try and find a right match there. So in the case of High School Story, um, that was a perfect match because it was a, a an issue happening with teenagers, but in a game that teenagers were playing so typically finding the right match of the audience makes the campaign more successful okay um so what would you say is your biggest success with playmob or what, what do you think's been the most successful campaign you guys have run the high school story campaign was definitely one of our most one of our top campaigns um but the the one i think is the most successful for us was so two years ago um the un launched the global goals so the Global Goals are a 15-year plan um, to make the world a better place. So there's 17 goals that we have to achieve by 2030. And um, when they launched, one of the issues was how do we how do we tell people that these goals exist? Um, because you know if you're if you're not in that space, if you're not with the UN or with an organisation that's supporting the goals, how do you how do you tell people that, that they exist and what to do and what it, what it means to them? So we launched a campaign. Um, around September, that's when the goals launched. And uh, we went out to our gaming network and we pulled together, we had 26 games. Uh, we also had um, Amazon, Google Play and PlayStation do front store promotions. So for all the games that were participating in the campaign, um, they got pushed to the front of the store. And the we called it the world's biggest game because we had so many people playing for the goals in that week. So in a week we reached 110 million people. Um, about global goals, which was the highest number of people that we've reached in in a short space of time, um, but we had you know a lot of major players part of that as well. So that was really successful in terms of awareness. Was there anyone or any organisation you mentioned the accelerator that you worked with? Um, is there anyone else that you would say you would credit with really helping you get this off the ground? Oh, yeah, great question. Um, yeah, I mean I, I, the accelerator definitely because you know it really kind of helped to. Um, build up our network we met I think within the first month we met about 150 people when I, when I look back to my LinkedIn stats you know that was probably the most people I met in, in my <laughs> lifetime um, so in terms of network it was great in terms of understanding um, how to fundraise and the process for that um, I think in, in terms of people and organizations people I mean we've got a great board um, and ad, an advisory board as well um, so they all come from different areas, whether it be gaming or tech or philanthropy. Um, so they help whenever we, we need. Um, so I think it's really important to have like a good board and advisory that can help uh, constantly. Um, in terms of other organisations, um, I think generally just our, our, our network um, and different partners. So, you know, being able to work with the likes of Amazon, for example, for store featuring or, you know, they've really helped us um, 
you know, been able to mention them as someone we've worked with before, but also mm-hmm. um, been able to learn uh, how they work too. Okay, so what kind of advice would you offer to someone who, like you had kind of back of a cigarette packet idea mm-hmm. and wants to make something out of it? What kind of advice? Um, <laughs> a lot. Uh, I think the first thing would be to have good mentors, um, to have some someone or people that you can call on um, because inevitably things will go wrong. Um more frequently than you think <laughs> so I think it's it's to have someone strong that's been through it before and you can just pick up the phone to I think is, is a real um, is a real benefit I think the other thing as well is you've got you, you can learn the you know how to read a spreadsheet you could learn how to do cash flow you can learn how to write a business plan but I think the biggest piece of support is like mentally being able to help you get through some of the tougher times because your biggest barrier is going to be yourself um, so I think one of my early advisors, um, he's now an investor in the company as well, but you know he really kind of helped me kind of mentally um, prepare myself for a lot of the stuff that I was going to have to go through, and I think that's really really important because most the time, most I'm guessing a lot of the time or most of the time, um, the biggest barriers are just thinking that we can't do it or coming up against an issue that we think we can't get through or, and it's it's usually you know when you take a step back and think about it properly and then um, reevaluate it you can get through it so. I think that's the major, major learning for me. So your background before starting the company was in creating games? Or could you just um, run us through kind of what your background in the gaming industry was? Yeah, sure. So so when I was at university in 2001, um, I helped uh, set up a company that was building games for education and training. So what we were doing was, um, well, the first game that we built was a, a multiplayer a team building game so these were kind of early days of multiplayer games where mm-hmm. you know they they were just starting to make an appearance um, but what we did was we built this game that was for about eight people where a sales team no matter where they were based in the world um, could play um, almost like a scenario like Lost so you're trapped in an island you have to work together to survive um, so you all play the different roles you've got limited resources um, but it teaches you all it teaches you um, soft skills um, mm-hmm. team building skills so that was the first company I uh, helped find was that one, um, and then we also then went on to build games within um, like oil and gas, uh, oil, oil and gas, um, finance, um, tech, auditing. Um, so, so the the premise was taking vast amounts of complex information mm-hmm. um, that usually gets delivered to employees through a thousand page PowerPoint, and then in the hope that you know they're going to learn you know the the top, the topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was then being able to take this online and um, make it into a much more fun, engaging experience that was also um, a great way to track what people learn and uh, what, what they understand and what they don't understand, where the barriers are. Um, so that was the, the way I started and then kind of continued with that over 10 years. Um, but looking at more around school, uh, schools, um, how schools were using gaming, um, how universities were using gaming, um, and then, you know, I still stayed in the corporate space as well, creating games for um, organisations like Shell, IBM, RBS. So there was big names that were kind of exploring this space. You know, e-learning was starting to become a thing and gaming was, you know, just seems like the natural progression to start mm-hmm. explore. Um, virtual environments were a thing that would cut back on travel. Um, so it would save companies uh, time and money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I, I did that for, for 10 years, but it was it was really kind of looking at the education space and then looking at how 
one of the trigger points for me was looking at um, how games, how entertainment games are be, being used in the classroom. Uh, and then it was actually my, my first mentor um, who set me the challenge. He'd, he'd just set up a, a charity called We Forest. And he said to me, he was like, you know, imagine we can build a game which was about reforestation and deforestation. So, uh, so I built a little mini game um, for that topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem I had back then was it was, um, you know, when you build a game, you have to acquire users, you have to sustain the game. You know, there's, there's a big cost behind being able to just maintain it and keep people engaged um, and increase the lifetime value of your players too. So you know, you, there was a bit of a choice of, you know, do you go down the road of keep on building games or do you tap into the games that exist already? Mm-hmm. Because that's a market that's growing at a phenomenal rate. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's how I ended up where I am now. Okay, so mm-hmm. we think oil and gas traders are working really hard and they're actually just playing computer games. <laughs> Learn something new every day. There you go. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Catch. Because you're an entrepreneurial lot, I thought I'd interrupt quickly to tell you about Richard Branson's new autobiography, which has just been published in audiobook form by Penguin Random House Audio. Finding My Virginity is the sequel to Richard's original autobiography, Losing My Virginity. See what he did there? In the new book, you'll hear about Richard's rockstar life, from his decision to start Virgin Galactic to what it was like to meet the Obamas. The unabridged version of the audiobook, read by Steve West, is out now. Or if you'd rather hear it from the beardy one himself, the abridged version, read by Richard, is out later this year. They'll both be available from Audible. Right, back to the podcast. So, you were a woman in the gaming industry. Obviously, there's been a lot of kind of headline news about Mm. sexism in the industry in recent years. Um... Was that something that affected you? Is that something that you saw around you? No, it's. Um, I think for me, it's 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 a it's an odd one because because I've been in gaming since the very beginning, um, and you know, in, in terms of gaming, there are more women in, coming into the industry now, um, but there wasn't back then. But I think it just became a norm that I was. Um, I, I didn't even notice that I was probably one of the only there was only probably three women in the industry at the time and I was one of them you know it just became like that's it was just that's the way it was um I think now you know there's a more open conversation about about it but I think it's for me I'm just trying to encourage more women into the industry because there's a lot of opportunities that are unknown um to people who are outside of the industry Mm -hmm. um and gaming as well can be quite um it's a very close-knit industry so I guess from an outsider's perspective it might seem like a hard thing to break into Mm -hmm. um, which is why I think you know it's good that we're having the conversation because I think we can start to open it out to more people especially because you know more than 50% of gamers are women so we need women building games for for women but for me I never um, I never encountered any problems or um, any Sorry, so any issues in gaming at all? It's it's always been quite a very friendly, open, supportive community or industry. Um, I think the only time I encountered any problems is when if, when you get into, when you step into the wider tech field. So it's because we're not a typical gaming company. Um, we're a platform, so then we then get put into the tech category when when you look at mm-hmm. investment. Um, and um, it wasn't until I started pitching um, in that space that I started to see. You know a few issues so um i was at a pitch event years ago but i was at a pitch event and the other people pitching was all, all men and we were talking just before the pitch and someone said to me he was like but it must must be okay for you because you've probably got a rich husband <laughs> and i was like okay <laughs> i was single at the time i couldn't believe it um, but i'd never ever ever 
had any comment like that made to me before. That's um, amazing. Apart from no, in, in gaming, it happened once. Um, but this must have been like the really early. This must have been, must have been two thousand and five, two thousand and six, because I'm from Scotland originally. Then I moved down to London in two thousand and five, and I went to an esports. Um, this is like proper early days of esports. I went to an esports event. It was tiny. It was in North London. There must have been about fifty people there, and um, I was there. Um, I think I was writing a blog on it at the time, and so I was in like a little kind of area there where there were some media. And PR people mm-hmm. and someone came up to me and said so are you the promo girl <laughs> <laughs> because I was the only girl there so that that was the only time but that's I'd never encountered anything else like that in gaming um but in the wider tech field yeah <laughs> oh god so I mean maybe they've invented a time machine and they've actually come from the past and they'll go back and let everyone know women work in tech now. I know oh, <laughs> exactly could you believe it <laughs> Um, well, have you noticed the difference? Because people talk a lot about Silicon Valley being particularly bad, but mm. then on the flip side, we sometimes hear UK tech is just as bad, if not worse. Mm. Have you ever noticed the difference, or is it pretty much kind of the tech field is the same wherever you go? Um, I think it's broadly the same. Um, I think the only difference differences between the between the West Coast and the UK is I kind of find any time I go to the West Coast, it, it's a lot more. Um, of an, uh, an aggressive culture um, so I don't know whether that then amplifies some of the issues um, I'm not sure but mm-hmm. I always find whenever I go to Silicon Valley I come back to the UK and I'm like you know I've gone all like <laughs> you know we've got to get stuff done now <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then whenever I've spent too much time in the UK then go over to Silicon Valley I feel like I'm not being ambitious enough <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah so there's, there's cultural differences but in terms of what's happening right now um, yeah I think it's quite broad um, Well, Is there anything you think that be it in gaming or tech um, what do you think can be done to encourage more women to come into the field and then you know, hopefully naturally that in itself just gets rid of the problem mm. So I think there's, there's quite a few things that are going on right now which are really interesting which I think are, are game changers um, for, for tech broadly and for gaming so um, uh, there's an, an initiative called the Female Quotient and they run a thing called the Girls' Lounge. And I went to this in Cannes in June and they do them um, at major events all over the world. So they'll do them at Davos, South by Southwest. Um, they do them in um, you know, Advertising Week. And so all the kind of ads, marketing, tech conferences and what these are are um, safe places that women can go and um, hang out and they can network. Men can go too; they're not bands. <laughs> um, but it's just it's it's a it's a nice place to go and hang out. Like I went I went to the one in Cannes and met just so many amazing people, who are really trying to encourage more women into the industry as well and be mm-hmm. um, be there to support one another. Whether you you want a job in the industry or whether you want to set up a company in the industry, there was plenty of people to talk to about it, and it was a really kind of supportive, open environment. And they've got talks like all day as well. And so I think things like that that are popping up are really trying to. En- I really kind of encouraging more women into the space but I think one of the best biggest things we can do is just hire more women um, I think that's going to be really important just making sure we're getting more women into the industry uh, I mean for things like the, the girls lounge um, we want to see this happen in the games industry too mm-hmm. I think that's going to be really important um, I think I mentioned before about you know gaming could sometimes feel like a closed a tight-knit group mm-hmm. um, and I think it's important that we start to open out and invite other people in um, Otherwise, we won't, 
you know, things won't change. Um, there's other initiatives as well that I've, uh, I've been looking at, things like uh, Made with Code by Google. Mm-hmm. And uh, what this is doing, this is going down to a younger age group. Um, and again, I'd love to see like Made with Code do something with the girls' lounge, you know, and get the, the kind of younger girls to kind of come in and hear some talks and, uh, you know, be inspired by this amazing network of women that are hanging out in the girls' lounge. Um, even do like a kids' panel to talk about, you know, like what are some of the issues that kids feel about um, tech and coding and gaming, or what they did inspi- aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know there are various things that are happening, and I think the more that we can do this, the more we can chip away. Um, it will it will start to make a difference. Like there's lots of funds now for for women in tech, um, women in gaming, not so much. It's something I've been doing a bit of research on is looking at how many women have been funded um, that have set up companies in the gaming space. It's quite hard to find that information, um, but hopefully we'll get there. But you know, there, it, it definitely does feel like it's front of mind for people now, mm-hmm. um, and I think we will see some big changes over the next three to five years. Hopefully. Mm. So you've been recognised in your field with an MBE. How mm. did that feel? Really good. Great day out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny when I first got the letter. Um, it came through as a very kind of like official letter. Um, very kind of nondescript but official looking so I thought I'd done something wrong like oh god (laughs) a ticket (laughs) I know parking fine Um, but no it was amazing I mean it was just yeah yeah just no words for it really it was just like such a such an honour to get it Um, I have no I still don't know where it came from Um, so you nominated by people I don't know who nominated me so I'd love to find out Um, I've asked a few people but I don't know who but um yeah, it's just it's just a brilliant thing to have. I think because, I, you know, Playmob is now my third startup, um, so it's great to be recognised for the hard work. Because um, I think that's the other thing as well. Being an entrepreneur, sometimes you don't stop to celebrate and mm-hmm. kind of recognise what you've achieved. So it really gives you that time to pause and kind of go, okay, you know, it's it's all good. Um, but yeah, a great day out at the palace. So family loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm on my last question, mm-hmm. which is, what are your favourite games? <laughs> um, so I've got a few but the one that I play quite a lot because I think it's quite relaxing is Monument Valley it's um, it's like a little puzzle game that kind of changes as, as you play so you've oh. got this little character um, that kind of runs through a platform and you have to figure out how to like you know drop the um, drop a bridge or climb a ladder or um, but as you turn it it's you know th- a different um, like hidden um, hidden pieces that can help you within the game start to appear so it's, it's, it's really relaxing you could sit and play that for hours and hours so that that's my favorite mobile game but um my, my all-time favorite just because i play it a lot with my nephew when i see him is um little big planet it's a proper you know you can lose yourself and you know, your imagination <laughs> just takes over but it's great because you can you know create your own world and play other people's worlds and um yeah that's my all-time favorite great well thanks very much thank you That's about it for this week. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, on at UnregulatedPod for updates, and to let us know which games make your world a better place. With thanks to Emma, who is producing this week, and Huckletree and White City Place, this has been the Unregulated Podcast. Unregulated Podcast.